0: Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today, we're talking about a history of the world in an orange. As this is supposed to be mostly a Chinese history podcast, let's start again in ancient China. In fact, let's start again in the warring states era. Uh, again, if you need a reminder, we're talking about here, the 4th to the 3rd century BC, uh, during which China was not one country, but was divided into seven major kingdoms. And we're going to start uh, in this time with the figure of Chuen. I may have touched on this man Quyuan before. Honestly, I can't quite remember. Um, According to tradition, the the Dragon Boat Festival on the occasion of the Duanwu holiday each year is celebrated in his honor. The the background to that story is as follows. So, Qu Yuan was a loyal servant of the kingdom of Chu, which uh was more or less what is now southern China. Uh the Chu was the uh, of course, one of the seven kingdoms. And for a time, uh, Qu Yuan was one of the top advisors to the kings of the Chu. But later in life, he, uh, fell out of favor and was no longer in power. In 278 BC, the kingdom of Qing, which of course eventually became the Qing Empire, the first empire, China's first empire, uh, invaded the kingdom of Chu and conquered a large part of it. During the, the chaos the chaos of that of that invasion, of that war, whether out of grief or perhaps because some Qing soldiers were after him because they knew who he was, Yuan threw himself into a river and drowned. And according to Chinese tradition, the local people from that area went out on the river in search of his body. And that became dragon boat racing. And they threw uh, the zongzi, which is this tetrahedron-shaped uh, food <laughs> made of uh, sticky rice with stuffing inside, into the river so that the fish would eat the zongzi instead of Chuan's body because they all knew him and they all loved him and they wanted to to ride by him. So the tradition is that, the tradition says that now on the Duanwu holiday, we, uh, we were supposed to eat Zongzi and raise dragon boats in his honor. Okay, so that was how Chu Yuan died. In his life though, not only was he an advisor to the kings of Chu, he was also a great poet. In fact, His works, collectively, form a fundamental text, a foundational text, in Chinese literature. And in and around, in or around 314 BC, he wrote a poem that will serve as the starting point of our discussion today. The poem is called, in Chinese, Song," which means, Ode to the Orange Tree. It is notable for a couple of reasons, besides the fact it was written by a great writer. Um, It is the first ode to an object in Chinese literature, the first one ever written, at least the first one ever recorded. It is also the first written record of the cultivation of oranges in ancient China. The scientific evidence actually suggests that the orange as we know it uh, in fact originated in southern China, where the Kingdom of Chu of course was, and its cultivation in China goes back another couple of millennia earlier than when Xu Yuan wrote the poem. So we're talking about over 4,000 years ago. From there though, uh, as we know, the orange spread around the world. And today, of course, you can get an orange anywhere. I submit to you that you can tell substantially, substantially a history of the world using simply the names that various languages have for the humble orange. Although, as a fruit, the orange originated in China, it was from Southern India that the English language ultimately gets this word. The, the Dravidian languages, Tamil, Telugu, Malayalam, variously call the orange, uh, names such as Naram, Narinja, and Naranga. In Sanskrit, uh, the word was adopted into Sanskrit as Naranga. From Sanskrit, the word then entered, uh, Persian as Narang. It then entered Arabic as naranj. A number of European languages then got the word from the Middle East. In Spanish, if you speak Spanish, you know the word is naranja. The J, spelled with a J, but in Spanish, of course, that's pronounced naranja. And in Portuguese, the N, the initial N, got got changed to an L, so it became naranja. In other parts of Western Europe, the original Indian word lost the n, the initial n altogether, through a linguistic process called rebracketing. So, in Italian, it became arancia, and of course, orange in French and orange in English. In French though, it should be noted, it used to be pomme d'orange. Pom, of course, means apple or simply fruit. So it was the fruit of orange, pom de orange. That pom, the initial pom, got drop, dropped in French over time, and of course, in, in English we don't say it. In parts of Central Eastern Europe, however, it got fused to the main word. So in Polish, an orange is called a pomarańcza. In Czech and in Slovak. Pomeranch In Serbian, pomaranča. In Slovenian, also pomaranča. But wait, you say, you promised us a history of the world. Well, as you may or may not have noticed, those countries that say some variation of orange, so Italy, Spain, Portugal, France, even England, form what was once the Western Roman Empire. The Western Slavs and the Southern Slavs, who borrowed the Pomme d'Orange from French and never seemed to have the confidence to drop the unnecessary Pomme at the start, are the nations that migrated unto the frontiers of the Roman Empire and then existed there, somewhat uneasily, pulled from two directions by the Latin West, and the Orthodox East. And speaking of the Orthodox East, in those parts of Southeastern Europe, and even North Africa and the Middle East, that once formed the Eastern Roman Empire, and later the Byzantine Empire, and later still much of the Ottoman Empire, the word for orange is typically something like portugal or "potokal." So in Greek, The word is potokale, in Romanian, potokale, in Albanian, potokali, in Bulgarian, potokal, in Georgian, potokali, in Turkish, potokal. And did I say earlier that in Arabic it's called naranj? Well, it used to be, but later the Arabic word for orange became potokaliu. And word got spread even farther than that. In Amharic, which is the lingua franca of Ethiopia, the word for orange is Biritu Kanama. The etymology of the word is Portugal, from which this part of the world used to import their oranges. Okay. But wait another minute you might say. We started this episode saying that the orange was indigenous to China. So where's the acknowledgement of the Chinese connection? Well, surprisingly, perhaps, it is the northern European languages that are the ones that make this connection. In German, the word for an orange is an Apfelsina from Apfel, like English apple, so the Germanic word for apple, and Sin, from the late Latin Sinai, meaning China. So, Apelsina, meaning Chinese apple. Similarly, in Danish and Norwegian, the word is Apelsin. In Icelandic, the word is Apelsina. In Russian and Belarusian, it is Apelsin. In Latvian, Apelsins. And in Dutch, just to make it interesting, they switch it around and call it Sina's apple. So somehow, it's those who once lived in the ambit of the Viking world who remember that oranges originally came from China. And what are the Chinese names for orange? Sadly, no. The various Chinese names for different types of oranges never really got around, never really got picked up by the other languages around the world, despite the orange having originated there. Unlike, for example, the Chinese words for tea or chai, which went all the way around the world and uh, became either tea or some variation of cha, chai, shai, became the, the words for tea in almost all languages. But that I think we'll have to wait for another episode. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.